as you've probably noticed, uh, or hopefully you've noticed, otherwise this is going to be terribly awkward for your mum. So today is actually Mother's Day. Um, and clearly the elders thought they'd get the most maternal person they knew, the six foot five single guy. That goes well. Uh, so here we are, my thoughts on motherhood shining. No, um, actually, we're thinking about ordinary life. We're thinking... Um, about what it means to kind of do this, whatever you do, shine in the day-by-day moments uh, which, which go on. And I was thinking about this and thinking about kind of my mum and how she's modelled probably more than anyone else um, what it means to, to shine in just those ordinary moments that from an early age, she really did love God. I was so blessed to have a, a Christian mum who loved God with all her heart, mind, soul and strength. I'd come down um, when I was a teenager um, and I'd see her with a Bible open, with a smile on her face, enjoying all that God had for her. How as a teacher, she would commit to working hard for the kids that she was she was um, helping and, and allowing to flourish, whilst equally prioritizing my sister and I, when frankly, we were probably a bit of a pain most of the time. And it got me thinking about kind of how we as a culture, how we as a society deal with kind of those ordinary things. Because I think actually, we don't do well with it. Um, we basically kind of, th- we basically want those exciting moments but actually, the 95% of our lives is, is normal, it's ordinary, and borderline dull when we think about it. We do the same things day in, day out. We get up at the same sorts of times. We eat the same sort of breakfast. I eat porridge a lot. I have it virtually every day. It's ordinary. It's normal. Uh, no, it's not. Um, we use the same toothpaste. Life is made up of these moments that are actually quite ordinary and quite normal. And... And weirdly, kind of in culture, we don't deal well with that because we have kind of an escapism within us. We kind of glorify the celebrity. We glorify the the people who are making their impact, who are having kind of the wild, amazing times. Think about the things that you um, hear in music. Like, when was the last time you heard a song that talked about putting a load of washing on? Doesn't happen. Or the TV shows that you that we watch like when was there a tv show that generally just had a normal day-by-day office job which wasn't having some extraordinary things happening office doesn't count um that is weird uh and extraordinary but actually or even just simple things like what we heard from kath and lauren about how they allow people to flourish in their day-by-day lives their commitment to what they do is so extraordinary actually but when actually do we hear that applauded inside of culture Instead, we look at kind of the celebrity, we look at the politicians, the one who have an impact on the global scene, and we kind of think, oh, maybe could I be a bit towards that? Or we find escapism um, in things like the realms of social media, where we put up kind of like an image of what our life could is kind of, we want people to see it as that it's something more than just the day-by-dayness of it all. I mean, we get annoyed by those people who put meals that they eat every single day, and we're like, no one wants to know that. But actually, we're annoyed because they're being ordinary. Or we look at the travel vloggers, and we find those clickbait articles of 101 places beginning with C that you have to go and visit before you die. And we think, oh, maybe. Maybe if I had these things, there could be something more in it for me. Or if I could just have that job, or if I could just get these A-levels, go to that university, or even if I could find a job, if that's a situation that we find ourselves in, then maybe, just maybe, my ordinary is something meaningful, something worth going for. 
And then we kind of we, we can kind of place that against kind of the message that we hear on a Sunday about how this God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, how he lives the perfect life, that he dies in accordance with the scriptures for our sins on the third day, is raised from the dead, gives us the Holy Spirit to live wonderful, impactful lives. And we're told whatever you do, shine. Shine looks a little bit harder when it's to do with taking the bins out or doing the dishes or going to the same place every single day. What does it mean to shine in those ordinary? Could it be that the gospel transforms every area of our lives, even those most ordinary, most normal of moments? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly from a person preaching, I'd say the answer is yes. Um, but actually, I think this is, when we get hold of it, this is one of the most life-giving messages that we can receive for our souls and the people around us because of how we're constantly looking for that extra meaning, that extra layer, that extra level in which we can find contentment, we can find satisfaction. To be able to be present in the here and now, to be able to say, I already have enough, is extraordinary to the world around us. And I suppose I can only say that because ultimately I'm convinced from the pages of scripture that it's true. I'm increasingly convinced that when you look at the Christian life, if you're to um, kind of put it as a graph, it is on an upward curve in the sense of peace, satisfaction, fulfillment, and in many ways, joy as well. That when eternity is ours, then actually, maybe, just maybe, we can go through the day by day with a loose smile on our face. So if you've got a buy with you, why don't you open to John 10? Um, We're going to be... Uh, hitting kind of the middle of Jesus' ministry. Um, He's just done something extraordinary. Um, He's healed a guy who was born blind, casual, as you do, definitely a part of my life. Um, But inside of it, he begins a discussion, as is quite often in John's gospel. He does something miraculous, he does a sign, and then he starts teaching out the back of it. And he says this, starting John 10, starting at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You might have to the full in your translation. It's an extraordinary thing that Jesus says right there. Not only does he say the first couple of verses is he's saying, I am the only way to God. That's what the I am the gate. You come in, you go out by me. There's no other way to know God other than Jesus, he's saying. But he says that actually the the thing that he offers us is life in all of its fullness here and now. That we can be completely satisfied in every single area of our lives now and not need to add anything to it. And immediately, I think we can kind of start, because this is kind of church, we can start to have that moment of, oh, well, this is talking about kind of the, the mad, miraculous moments, the, the day by day being extraordinary, kind of witnessing for God, going off to Africa, going, in, uh, going up to the Himalayas and preaching to the yaks there. But actually, when we break it down and we think about Jesus as a person, he modeled what it was to have a completely content, ordinary life. We rightly focus on the wonderful, extraordinary things that he does. But the vast majority of his life was also radically ordinary. He and his disciples, they walked a lot. They ate. They chatted with people when they met them. Yeah, 
like, I'm pretty sure I can say they went to the toilet, they did the dishes, those sorts of things. It's not biblically attested, but use your common sense. <laughs> Ordinary things were happening, and Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, and the people he hung around with were living ordinary lives. They were fishermen, tax collectors, whatever you do, people. But it's more than that, because Jesus himself models that we can have a completely full, a completely satisfied life now, even if we don't have everything that the world would say we need to. Think about Jesus' character. He never married, so that meant he never had sex. He was never in relationships. He never had kids. Was he in any way less of a man? Was he in any way less fulfilled, less content? No, not in the slightest. So do we need those things and Jesus to, to have life to the full now? Jesus says, no. What about traveling? Jesus actually lived in quite a small area of the world. Kind of a bit of a nasty end of the Roman Empire. Didn't go much beyond those borders. Didn't see the the great sights of Rome and, and further afield. Was he in any way less fulfilled? Was his life any way less meaningful? No, not at all in the slightest. Or what about impact? Global impact, having our say on the global scene. Now, obviously, Jesus does have a bit of an impact on the scene. But actually, when you think about it, the sum total of his earthly ministry was 120 people in a room. That's not huge. Just saying. And so actually, for, for us to think that we need to be able to have an impact to be perfectly fulfilled, Jesus is saying, no. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. And maybe, just maybe, that isn't necessarily about what we're doing it's more possibly about a state of being um we kind of get confused um and thinking that kind of the extraordinary moments don't require any ordinary moments even to get to them as well like uh someone like Usain Bolt ridiculous man like genuinely legend in the global sporting scene and We remember the fact that he does these sub 10 second runs and wins medals left, right and center. But actually, we also forget that he gets up and trains day in, day out for years upon years upon years for a 10 second moment. He eats in a certain way. He conditions himself in order to have those moments. His being enforces his doing. Um, As kind of been referenced, I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, I'm learning biblical Hebrew at the moment. Not normal, bit of a pain, wouldn't recommend. Um, But it kind of, it made me realize how to be able to get anywhere, you have to commit to doing something. You don't have things instantly. Like, I've learned that to best learn a language, you have to commit to doing it on a day-by-day basis. Like, and frankly, you look like an idiot when you're muttering Hebrew words under your breath on the train and people are like, what are you doing? But actually, now I'm being able to see the flip side of that, the, the, the fruit that comes of committing to doing something, of allowing something to come part and parcel of my being. I'm able to open up bits of the Old Testament now and, and look at them in their original language and see great truths coming out, which you just don't always see. Like a little example that's really relevant for now. I promise this isn't me showing off. Sorry. Um, in Genesis 2, there's a moment where it says God finished his work and rested from his work. The word work there that is used is used over 160 times in the Old Testament about very ordinary things. The vocations that people have, the jobs that they do. If that doesn't tell us that God is interested in whatever we do, if that doesn't tell us that God, creator of all things, speaks things into motion, isn't interested in the day by day of our lives, I don't know what else does. 
And so actually we need to break down this idea in our head that, that these big moments are the things ultimately that we run for. That actually the little moments can just be those moments as well that we glorify God in. As I was prepping this, I came across a quote from a guy called Martin Luther. He, um, he kicked around in the 15th, 16th century, and uh, God used him to, to launch the gospel into, into the globe. And he talked about parenting um, and kind of what it's like to raise an infant. Now, I'm sure that kind of, I mean, I don't know for sure that having kids is a wonderful blessing. Um, but yeah, I'm also pretty sure that there are some very ordinary, very normal, quite irritating moments inside of it. Like, even hanging out with the Thorpes this week, you can tell that the babies are effectively poo and vomit machines <laughs> from the get-go. And you have to deal with that. Ordinary things, not special, not glamorous stuff. And into it, uh, Luther said this, that clever harlot, our natural reason, takes a look at married life It turns up our nose and says, alas, must I rock the baby? Must I wash its nappies? Must I make its bed, smell its stench, stay up nights with it, take care of it when it cries, heal as its rashes and sores? And on top of that, I then need to care for my wife, provide for her, labor at my trade, take care of this and take care of that, do this and do that, endure this and endure that, and whatever else of bitterness and drudgery life involves. Basically, normal life can be really dull, he's saying. But then he says this, what then does the Christian faith say to this? It opens our eyes, looks upon all these insignificant, distasteful, and despised duties in the spirit, and becomes aware that they are all adorned with divine approval, as with the costliest golden jewels. It says, O God, because I am certain that you have created me as a man and have from my body made this child, I also know for certainty that it meets with all of your perfect pleasure. I confess to you, Lord, that I am not worthy to rock the little babe or wash its nappies or to be entrusted with the care of the child and its mother. How is it that I, without any merit, have come to this distinction of being certain that I am serving your creature and your most precious will? Oh, how gladly will I do so, even if the duties are even more insignificant and more despised. Neither frost nor heat, neither drudgery nor labor will distress or dissuade me, for I am certain that it is thus pleasing in your sight. God, with all of his angels and creatures, is smiling. Not because the Father is washing nappies, but because he is doing it in Christian faith. Luther hits something that I think is so important for us as we think about our ordinary lives. That actually anything we do can be acts of worship. Anything we do can be acts which, which bring glory towards God and ultimately can cause thankfulness and gratitude to come into our lives. That even the most ordinary of tasks can actually are by their very nature extraordinary because we have a God who is intimately involved in them. Take a, a little example, something like washing the dishes. Very ordinary, very normal. When we apply Luther's mindset into it, you actually can start to see there are so many things that we can be grateful for in those moments. The fact that we have a tap that gives us fresh, clean water coming in at that very moment. The fact that that clean water is hot coming out and we're able to use it. The fact that we have enough money to be able to buy the food that we cooked. And then you can move it slightly further away from that. The fact that we're physically able in that moment to stand up and do those dishes. That is something to be grateful for. That is something which reflects God's grace and mercy unto us. And then you can move into moments of just the fact that we even simply have the life that we breathe. Suddenly, when we flip and put God into the situation, 
ordinary life is extraordinary does have meaning because everything has a purpose and that purpose ultimately revolves around us giving worship back to God for what he has given to us. How is it that Jesus, I suppose, was able to be so perfectly content in everything that he did, be able to just not have everything but yet be the most fulfilled person who ever walked the earth, can say, I've come that you may have life and life to the full? Well, I think it's because ultimately he understood that that the bare bones of our existence is not about what we do, it's about who we are. The kingdom of God has always been much more concerned with the status of our hearts, the status of who we are, and not the actions that come. Yes, they happen afterwards. It's important for us to recognize that. This isn't a licensed thing to do whatever you want. But that actually God looks within beforehand. An example of this, um, in Matthew's gospel, a bunch of the Jewish leaders come um, and they start to ask Jesus some questions. Um, and they're basically saying, you know what, Jesus, out of um, 613 different Old Testament laws um, that range from washing, uh, ritual washing to purity to things like God's choice of curtain color. Um, genuinely, like read through the laws and you'll see God cares about detail, uh, the ordinariness of life. But they say, you know what, all of these things which we're told please God. Which one thing out of all of them brings most glory to him, will most bring his pleasure towards us? What can we do, basically, to gain God's approval? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. He flips it on its head and says, this is not about the actions that you do. It's about who you are before anything else. That's mad. And changes everything about our day-to-day lives because suddenly it's not, the, it's, it's not that we have more significance we're doing stuff. It's we already have significance because of what Jesus has done for us. And the maddest thing about this all, that if it's true that it's not about what we do, who we are, the maddest thing about the gospel is that that identity, that security is cast iron and guaranteed for us already. Nothing can change who we are. The Bible teaches that we already are holy. We already are blameless. We are already beyond any form of attack, any form of reproach before God. Our sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so, frankly, who cares about the dishes? Because I am already okay. I can do what I'm doing now for the utmost glory of God, recognizing I don't deserve any of it. And he gives me everything and more. Um, I love a little bit at the start of um, the start of Jesus' ministry where he gets baptized, um, and I love it because in that moment the heavens are torn open, and a, and a voice kind of bellows out, "This is my son; in him I'm well pleased." But think about that: Jesus hasn't done anything in that moment. He hasn't done the healings. He hasn't done the the raising from the dead. He hasn't even done the cross thing. And God is already saying, this is my son. In him, I'm well pleased. And if all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ are true over us, then actually when we think about it, the same is true over us. That we are already precious. We are already honored and valuable in God's sight. And so actually the ordinary is extraordinary because Jesus has made it so. And this, this does change the nature of who we are. It really does. I've been um, 
I've been hanging out with a bunch of schoolmates uh, a bit more recently um, who work in the city. Uh, and in many ways, when I hear them talk, I can look at their lives and be jealous of them. Because they're in, like, a lot of them are in kind of like decent law firms um, on decent trajectories, earning silly amounts of cash um, at a young age. Um, they're living in the center of one of the greatest cities in the world. Um, they're having, they are in relationships that fulfill them. All these things that in many ways I could look at and say, I quite like that. But yet there's another moment inside of me where I can just turn around and say, you know what, despite the fact that I live in quite a sleepy area of Southeast London, that I'm not earning a lot of money. <laughs> I work for a church, that kind of happens. That uh, a lot of my life is day-to-day. -day. I mean, I learned Hebrew vocab. That's not exciting. That <laughs> I just do my day-by-day, -day and it isn't exciting. That I'm not going on the grandiose holidays that we so eagerly want. How is it that I can say in all good conscience to them, I have never been happier, I have never been more content, I have never been more fulfilled than I am now? It's because, frankly, Jesus has killed a lot inside of me and raised a lot of him. <laughs> that Jesus has taught me that I am a son and that ultimately, at the end of the day, is all that matters. That nothing I can do will, will change the way he views me. That actually, if the rest, sum total of my life is that I'm stacking chairs on a Sunday and stacking shelves on a Monday to Friday, he would still say, well done, good and faithful servant, as much as if I'm doing this. Because of Jesus, the ordinary is already extraordinary. Please hear that. Because he has already made it so. And then finally... Um, I kind of don't feel like we should end without uh, mentioning that Jesus does actually offer the promise of something more inside of our ordinary lives. He does offer the promise of a life of adventure in relationship with him. When he goes um, at the start of Acts, um, he says to his disciples, there's 120 people. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They go up in a room, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they're speaking in tongues, they're, they're preaching the gospel, 3,000 people are added a day, and then extraordinary things are happening around them. All of them are very ordinary people, living very ordinary lives, but they've met with the risen Jesus, and everything changes from that moment. We've received exactly the same Holy Spirit when you put your faith inside of Jesus. And so actually, my challenge would be, I want the life that they have as well. I was challenged by this but when I received a text from a mate about a week ago. Um, he is a, uh, he's training to be a social worker at the moment, um, and he's in a local council. And in many ways, a lot of his life is very ordinary. Um, he does a lot of admin uh, in, as a part of his life. And he just sent me this text. Mate, if you get a spare minute, could you pray for me? I've had a bit of a battle of a day in the office. I had the office prayer meeting before work, prayed for my boss's broken arm, chatted to my colleague about God after praying for a broken finger yesterday, and offered the director prayer for his broken toe and had a big chat about faith. I'm just spiritually a bit exhausted, not seeing a great deal of fruit. <laughs> Cheers, boss. Um, my reply was admittedly, yeah, but reread that. You've effectively said, can you pray for, for more fruit? Because I've only seen a prayer meeting in the predominantly unbelieving office. My boss allowed me to pray for, for his broken arm. I had a chat with a colleague about Jesus after praying for her yesterday. Um, and a prayer for combined with faith chat with the director of a council service. In my books, just one of those things is a fruitful day. <laughs> uh, 
There's nothing special about my mate. Honestly, there isn't. He probably is going to listen to this. Sorry, mate. Uh, but all that he's got is he's seen the truth of the fact that the gospel changes everything. That we can live our lives knowing that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Giving us those little nudges of why don't you just step out here. Believe that the God who raises people from, from the dead just for fun is alive inside of you and see what happens. You see, ordinary life is already extraordinary inside of Jesus. I hope we've seen that. That there is meaning, there is life and abundance. But he can promise us so much more as well. Eternity is one for us. And he says, I want to use you to further the kingdom. I want to use you to share about my son to the ends of the earth. I want to use you to, to see the lame healed, the blind have their eyes open, and the dead raised to life again. He says that over each and every one of us. He wants to roll up his sleeves and just have a laugh with us ultimately. I'm stirred by the stories inside of the Acts of the Apostles because I just see ordinary people like me living their ordinary lives but being prepared just to just listen to that nudge that might say, go left, chat with that person, offer to pray. So maybe, just maybe then, when we think back to what culture would say that ordinary life isn't that exciting, ordinary life isn't that great, maybe we can flip it on its head and say, actually, you know what? The ordinary life is already extraordinary because God has ordained it so. God has made everything we need and more and given it to us already.